My name is Andrew. I'm a campus minister with RUF and just want to welcome you all here and online and especially if you are new to RUF or if you're new to Christianity. Uh, we're so, so glad that you are here. Uh, RUF stands for Reform University Fellowship and it's a ministry to Davidson students through Davidson students. And like Emma said earlier, we do things like read and study the Bible together, pray together, pray for one another, uh, pray for our campus, pray for our country, pray for our world, those sorts of things. And um, we're just so glad that we're able to be here together and uh, worship God together. And I just also want to thank the music team for, for playing tonight. Um, also want to introduce a few non-students who are with here. Uh, where's Amanda? So in the back, it's my wife, Amanda. Um, up front is Eric Westog, our intern. And then actually next to Amanda is Justin Clement, who is my boss. So I can really relate to y'all. Like I am being tested right now. So if, if you see him reaching for the notebook, you know what that's, what that's about. But Justin is my area coordinator. He's Eric's area coordinator. He's a former campus minister himself at Trinity College. Is that right? And at UGA? Both schools, yep. Yeah. So, Andrew right does a good job. <laughs> uh, well, tonight our passage is John 17, verses 20 through 23. Uh, so if you have a Bible, turn there with me. Um, and our topic tonight is unity. If you uh, have been with us, you know that we've been in this series this semester on the church where we ask the why questions. Why does the church exist? Why should I be a part of the church? And we've asked those questions of God's word, of the Bible, and have seen that the answer that it gives us is because of things like Jesus, or because of the truth, because of compassion, because of generosity. These are all reasons to be a part of the church. And tonight, we're looking at unity. So why church? because unity. And as we get into this topic and this passage, John 17, I want to share an analogy that a friend of mine recently shared with me. He said that the church is like a rock tumbler, and Christians are like rocks. We're all different shapes, different sizes, different colors, because we're all from different backgrounds. We've got different personalities, different preferences, and we've all got these rough, jagged edges, the effects of sin and the fall on our personalities. And the more that we spend time in the church and the more that we, uh, yeah, the more time we spend in the church, the smoother that we become. And I, I love this analogy really for two reasons. One, it acknowledges the challenges of being a part of the church and rubbing up against, rubbing shoulders against people who are not like me, who don't look like me, who don't sound like me, you don't vote like me. And I don't know about you, but I don't really get the warm fuzzies when I picture a rock tumbler. It can be a challenging image. But the second reason I like it is this image gives me hope. It reminds me that the end result is worth the challenge. It reminds me that I need to be in community with Christians who are not like me. And other Christians need to be in community with me so that by God's grace, we might shape one another into better versions of ourselves, into more patient, more compassionate versions of ourselves. 
or to put it differently, that we might grow more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. And coming out of a year filled with lots and lots of division and disunity, I really need that hope. So as we read and consider God's word tonight and this topic of unity, I'd invite you to keep this question at the back of your mind as we read. How might God be calling me into the rock tumbler of the church? So keep that question in mind as we read uh, John 17, verses 20 through 23. I'll uh, read aloud for us and you can follow along with me. So Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth tonight and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So imagine you have to write a research paper, tr trigger warning, uh, imagine you have to write a research paper on some great figure from the past, someone you really admire. Maybe you're an English major and that person is Shakespeare or Jane Austen. Uh, maybe history is your thing and you're writing your paper on Joan of Arc or Frederick Douglass. Or maybe you're a philosophy or classics major and it's Socrates. Anyway, imagine your person that you're writing this research paper on. You're upstairs in the library among the stacks, and you're looking for primary source material on your person. And as you're pulling these volumes off the shelves, and while you're skimming them, you come across a letter written by your person. And imagine that in that letter, as you're reading his or her words, you, you realize that he is talking about you. I mean, how would you feel if you came across, I know this is hard to imagine, but a letter from Jane Austen and she is writing about you. I mean, you'd be amazed, right? You'd be dumbfounded and you'd be kind of overcome with this sense of wonder, maybe a feeling of honor, pride, maybe overcome with joy. And, and, and what would you do? You would rush to go tell others, right? You'd say, like, guys, look at this. Can you, can you believe this? Maybe you'd also go for a psych evaluation. I don't, I don't know. But that is exactly how you should feel, minus the psych evaluation part, when reading John's gospel and you come to chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus and his disciples, they're up stairs in a house having just finished dinner it's a cool early spring evening maybe like tonight they're in jerusalem 
and the holy city is a buzz because it's the Jewish festival of Passover. And lots of people from all over have come to town. And Jesus, after dinner, he's just finished teaching his disciples many things. And now he starts praying to his heavenly father. And as we come to verse 20, what do we see? That Jesus was thinking about us about you and about me. Look at verse 20 again. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Again, if you're you're dumbstruck by the thought of Jane Austen thinking of you, here is the son of God praying to his heavenly father, and he's got you and me on his mind. And and what was the main thing that he was praying for for us? In verse 21, we see that he was praying that we would all be one. He was praying for our unity. And so this raises all sorts of questions. Well, what sort of unity did Jesus have in mind? Why is unity so important to him that he prays for it on the night before his death? And if it's so important to him, well, then how do we attain it? And those questions are going to form our outline for tonight. So three points, three questions. What is unity? Why is it important? And how is it possible? So first, what is unity? And I want to propose a definition unity that's rising out of tonight's passage. That definition is this. Unity is spiritual oneness shared by all who believe in Jesus through the teaching of the apostles. That was a mouthful. So let's just break it down kind of section by section. So first, unity is spiritual oneness. This is what Jesus prays for in verse 21 and again in verse 23. He he prays that we, he says that that, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And again in verse 23, Jesus prays, I in them and you, Father, in me, that they may become perfectly one. In other words, Jesus wants his followers, Jesus wants us to enjoy the same spiritual oneness with one another that he has with his father. Just as it's impossible to fully separate the father from the son, Jesus wants it to be impossible to fully separate one Christian from another. So spiritual oneness. But it's a spiritual oneness shared by all who believe in Jesus. If you look at verse 20, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles before him. I do not ask for these only, but for, for also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. True Christian unity transcends all time and space. It includes every believer and their grandma, assuming Nana is also a believer in Jesus. Again, all believers through all ages, through all centuries, and from all corners of the globe. 
So spiritual oneness shared by all who believe in Jesus through the teaching of the apostles. Again, at the end of verse 20, Jesus prays for those who would believe in him through their word. And the there that he's referring to are the apostles. And on multiple occasions throughout the gospels, we see Jesus giving his authority to his apostles. This is why Christians believe not only the Hebrew scriptures, which we would call the Old Testament, but also the apostolic teachings as well, what we would call the New Testament. As one well-known pastor puts it, if you are a Christian, it is because you believed the testimony of the apostles, because you were enabled by the Spirit to believe the truth given to them by the Spirit. So, so unity is spiritual oneness shared by all who believe in Jesus through the apostles' teaching. I like to think of, you know those like, those desk toys, the, the, these office desk toys, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's a magnet and there are all these like metal shards that sit on top of it. And like, you can kind of like fiddle and fidget with it and kind of move all these little metal shards into different shapes. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I like to imagine that Christians are like those shards and that base that the shards are on is the apostolic teaching. And that the magnetic pull, the magnetic force is believing in Jesus. And that we all to come together as one body, as one church. Maybe that's a helpful analogy. Maybe, maybe not. But um, before moving on, let me just ask you this. Which part of that definition is the hardest for you to grasp or the hardest for you to appreciate or to agree with? Is it the spiritual oneness part? Maybe you thought that being a Christian was primarily about kind of following all of these external uh, cultural uh, uh, trappings of, of various Christian groups. You know what I mean? Like as long as you watch your language and you don't swear, you're part of the group. Uh, as long as you dress up and go to church every Sunday, uh, if you own a Bible and maybe you can quote a few verses, or if you vote Republican because you really care about traditional family values, or you vote Democrat because you care about the poor and marginalized, maybe that's your impression of the church. But the oneness that Jesus has in mind isn't about external uniformity to a set of cultural norms. Rather, it's about internal spiritual union with God and with others. Maybe the hard part for you is the part that's about all who believe. And you think, really, Jesus, is that your expectation? Because you look around and you see all these barriers that just seem way too daunting to overcome. Differences in race, gender, socioeconomic status, political affiliations, worship preferences, theological and doctrinal differences. And you look and you see how many Christian denominations there are and you're like, how in the world can we all be one? Maybe the part that really is troubling to you is the part about believing in the teaching of the apostles. Maybe you're like, do, do I really have to believe Paul's teachings? 
it just seems so outdated, too, so traditional, closed-minded, so exclusive. But if Jesus wants us to believe in him through the apostles' words, as he says here, who are we to decide, hey, thanks, Jesus, love you, man, but I'm going to go find another way. Jesus is lovingly, refreshingly, and unapologetically telling us, look, I'm sorry, but there is no other way. What makes it worthwhile to push through these challenges, to push, to push through these difficulties that we have with Jesus's view toward unity and to actually pursue it? And, and this brings us to our second question. Why is unity important? And simply put, unity is important because the success of the church's mission, especially during challenging times, it depends on it. My, my old campus minister once said that the church exists for the sake of its non-members. In other words, the church is in the business of sharing Jesus with the world. Look at the second part of verse 21. Jesus, Jesus says as much when he says that we are to be one so that the world may believe that you, speaking of the Father, have sent me. And he says that again in the second part of verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Christian unity is so important because it's what shows the world that Jesus is sent by God the Father. And it's very much like love in this way. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the church's unity, the church's love, make the church's message believable. With unity and with love, we should expect the gospel to spread. And when there is no unity or love, we shouldn't be surprised if, to use an imperfect analogy, the church goes bankrupt or the church goes out of business. And just think, think about uh, how many of you, how many of you um, have Netflix? How, how many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you have uh, heard of Blockbuster? How many of you have been in a Blockbuster? How many of you have a Blockbuster card? Uh, my hand goes down too. Um, so why, why is Blockbuster basically like the dodo bird? Like why is it virtually extinct? It's because they, they thought that they were in uh, the, the, the brick and mortar home video rental business. And then Netflix comes around harnessing the power of the internet and, and start sending DVDs into people's homes so that they don't have to get in their car, drive to the blockbuster and pick up their movie. And then also they start streaming things. So you don't even have to wait two days for your movie to come to you. And blockbuster didn't adapt. They still thought that they were in the business, the brick and mortar business of home rental, home rentals. What they didn't realize was their, their business was not the home rental business. Their business was just was the home entertainment business. Was getting 
media, video media into people's homes by, how, by whatever means possible. They didn't adapt. And so they went out of business because they lost sight of their true mission. As Christians, we need to remember what business we're in. We're, we're not in the business of self-preservation. We're in the business of making Jesus known. And that mission should spur us on to care about and pray for and actively pursue church unity. Because as the New Testament scholar Christine Pohl puts it, people are oftentimes converted first to Christian community and then to Christ. What she's saying is when the world catches a glimpse of true Christian love and unity, they catch a glimpse of Christ. So that's what unity is. That's why it's important. And then third and finally, how is unity possible? I don't know about you, but when I look around and I do see all the divisions, not just in the world today, but in the church today, divisions among Christians over things like mask wearing, racism, gender roles. And when I look and I see the, the, the seeds of division in my own heart, my quickness to dismiss other Christians I disagree with, my, my slowness to love and forgive and pray for a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against me. The kind of unity that Jesus is praying for for us, it seems like a pipe dream. It seems naive at best or maybe impossible at worst. The barriers to unity, to true unity, seem insurmountable. So how is it possible? And the answer the Bible gives is it is possible through the glory of God given to us through Jesus. Look at verse 22, right in the middle of our passage. Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is not a glory you can earn or buy. It has to be given to you. So, so how do we receive this glory and, and how does it come home to us? And again, what we see in the Bible is only through the cross of Jesus. There's this amazing scene earlier in John's gospel, kind of halfway through the book. And so if you're reading from beginning to end, you, you come to this scene in chapter 12, and it, it really is this turning point in the story. And, and at this point in the story, uh, Jesus, he is aware, he knows that his hour, and for John, Jesus's hour is his hour of crucifixion, he knows that his hour has come. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. Crowds are following him. He enters Jerusalem, and people are, are saying Hosanna and praising him and welcoming him as king. And Jesus knows that his time has come, and he's troubled. And, and listen what he says in chapter 12, verse 27. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
And immediately after Jesus prays that, a voice from, comes from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And shortly after that, Jesus tells the crowd, look, this voice was for your sake, not for mine. And then he says this in chapter 12, verse 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The crucifixion, the glory of the cross, that is what makes unity possible. When the weight of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, when it sinks in, in other words, when you become captivated by the glory of the cross, it, it draws you in. It's like, it's like the spotlight on the top of a lighthouse that, that, helps, that helps lost ships make their way through the dark to the port, to drawing them home. And so will you follow the spotlight of God's glory, which is the glory of Jesus's cross? Will you follow it home? And as you draw nearer and nearer through daily repentance and faith, the lighthouse of the cross will grow bigger and bigger. And the larger and more significant the cross looms in your life, in my life, in our lives, the smaller our differences will seem. And the more captivated you are by God's mercy toward you at the cross, especially how Jesus paid the penalty of your sin, how he died for your quickness to dismiss others, how he died for your slowness to forgive others. The, the more you're captivated by that mercy, the more merciful you will want to be toward others. Don't you see, it's the cross that unifies us. So come to it, cling to it, draw near to it, draw near to your savior and draw near to one another. So we've considered what unity is, why it's important, how it's possible. As we wrap, I just wanna leave four practical suggestions. So if you have received the glory of God through Jesus, through his cross, here are four ways that you can actively pursue unity. Number one, start praying regularly for church unity. It's pretty simple. Pray as Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Meditate on Psalms like Psalm 137. It says how beautiful it is when brothers dwell in unity. I take brothers to be inclusive there. Uh, and if you're someone who simply has a hard time praying in and of itself, um, pick up one of the prayer guides at the table, at the snack table. Uh, it's a wonderful resource. And within these prayer guides, there are prayers, confessions, creeds, written by Christians from all different centuries and from all over the world. And so as you use this, it kind of, it kind of works church unity into, into your bones. So start praying regularly for church unity, one. Two, join and regularly attend a church that cares about church unity. Whether you're a freshman or sophomore trying to find a church to land in here at Davidson, or maybe you're an upperclassman and you're starting to wonder, like, what kind of church should I look for post-college? 
try to find one that cares about unity. And if you're wondering, how can I tell? Well, the litmus test is this. Do they not only teach the Bible and make much of Jesus, do they also pray for other churches? Do they do that as part of their worship service? Um, are they connected in any way to other local bodies, to other churches, whether that's through a denomination or a convention or some sort of network? Are they connected to other churches? Are, are their leaders, and especially their pastors, friends with leaders and other pastors from, from other churches? Find a church that values unity. Third, interact with Christians outside of your particular tradition, the one that you grew up in. I recently came across um, the African-American Anglican scholar, Esau Macaulay, by listening to a Bible Project podcast. And the guys from the Bible Project interviewed him, uh, and I was just blown away uh, by his thoughtfulness, and so much so that I picked up his book, Reading While Black, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise in Hope. Uh, and as someone who's not Anglican, who's not Black, I so value his perspective on God's word. So read people outside of your tradition. And then fourth and finally, take communion regularly. And this kind of goes hand in hand with joining a church and regularly attending a church. But if you're a baptized follower of Jesus, join to a local church, take communion as often as you can, as often as your church serves it. Not only does communion remind us of our unity, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that we all partake of the one loaf, the one bread, that the act of physically taking and eating and drinking the bread and the wine is this powerful and tangible way for us to experience and express our oneness in Christ. And as you do these things, as you pursue unity, you will draw closer not only to other believers, but you'll also draw closer to Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for sending in the fullness of time your son, Jesus, to, to live the life that we couldn't live, the life in perfect fellowship with you and with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, to die the death that we all deserve uh, because of our sin, our rebellion against you. Lord, would you captivate us by the glory of the cross? Draw us closer to Jesus' cross and draw us closer to brothers and sisters in him. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.